Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now, in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Numbers are headed in the right direction today. Hospitalizations are down. Net change in hospitalizations are down. Intubations are down again. Number of new cases down. But it was a long road down. You can almost hear him thinking out loud, oh my gosh, it really is getting better. Holy cow, how much longer are people going to hinge on my every word? How much love and adoration am I going to get daily from all of my friends in news media? Could it be that really this daily show is going to come to an end? The one that is far superior to my brother's, with higher ratings, I might add. Now, you can almost hear the better news becoming a problem for one Andrew Cuomo. Now, it's fascinating. Here we are in the absolute leftist utopia. Another day in our leftist utopia. And by the way, congratulations to Connecticut for joining the union. It took you a little time, but you decided to, to get there today. I kind of feel like uh, this was... Ned Lamont's big moment, you know, Connecticut, their big moment. They're like, if you had your your money in the pool on Connecticut being the last day to begin any reopening measures in the union, congratulations, you win. But you got the feeling that Lamont's sitting back there going, hold on. Now, Cuomo's getting all this attention. You you got the hair in California. Everybody has followed over him. This can be my big moment because we all know that the one way to get the most love and attention and respect of the godless and soulless and slanderous news media is to keep people under your thumb, to keep them repressed, to keep them reliant on the government for as long as possible. And so if I am the heroic governor of Connecticut and I wait and I keep my people locked down longer than any of the other governors, then I, Lamont, I am the one who cares most. I should be your hero. Not Cuomo. It didn't work out that way. I kind of got the feeling that like Lamont was sitting there today, waiting for that phone to ring. He's like, all right, this is going to be it. Everybody's going to call me today. Everybody's going to want the interview. I'm going to be the, the big star. <laughs> Near as I can tell, it just didn't happen. Because you all know Greenwich would not have survived had Connecticut reopened Monday. It's that he, he waited today. That was heroic. That was the, the smart thing to do. That was the utopian thing to do if you're on the left. Yeah, it's a fascinating world we live in, for sure. And uh, hey there, I am your benevolent dictator from the least secure. But I'm literally in the studio right now that uh, had the roof ripped off by Hurricane Wilma in 2005. Literally, the roof over my head ripped off during the hurricane during the coverage. I am not in an underground bunker. I am seven feet above sea level, a few miles away from Mar-a-Lago. I am your uh, your friend, uh, hangs out in South Florida. Uh, Brian Mudd, I do the 
Morning Rush, WJNO West Palm Beach, the Brian Mudd Show, WIOD in Miami. And it is truly an honor and a pleasure to be here with you. You may follow me at Brian Mudd Radio on Twitter. One of the uh, one of the real teachable moments that's come about, what we're seeing right now. You know, during the earliest days of the lockdowns and the uncertainty, the fear, the not knowing, I think even the person with the strongest constitutional convictions at times a little bit led astray and, and thinking, you know what? We better do this. We better think this. Uh, not really paying attention necessarily in the day-to-day to just how restricted and how repressed our rights were becoming. And I think after a couple of weeks, we kind of sat there and like, all right, hold on. Something here is not right. Something here is not right. You know, we're in the leftist utopia because... When was the last time we had so many Americans that were hinging on a governor's words every single day? Wondering, waiting, is he going to let me to go, go to work today? Do I get to work today? Do I get to go to the park? Mr. Monarch, are you going to let me uh, go walk my dog today? When was the last time you wondered, is he going to let me reopen my business? Will I get to operate at 25% capacity? Oh my gosh, Daddy, might it be 50? When was the last time we had so many Americans waiting on a government check to come? It was the last time we had so many people that were day in and day out driven not by their own success, their own ability, what we put in, what we get out the American way, but instead by what the government lets us do. It is quite literally anti-American, everything we've been through. And I tell you, these lockdowns are a reminder that all elections matter. Talk about that here in a moment. But what's been on display? I mean, you, you take a look at Cuomo, for example, New York. It really is remarkable in any analytical way. Because by any objective matter, he has presided over a humanitarian crisis. Here you have the state with under 6% of the country's population, but over 30% of its death. How the hell does that happen? And then how are you hailed as the end-all be-all by the godless Olson Slanders news media and related leftists? I mean, this guy has gone from presiding over a humanitarian crisis in his state, uh, by any objective measure, the worst performance And truth be told, he's the wannabe Democrat candidate for president. But it makes sense when you look at it through their prism. He's created maximum reliance on the government. Maximum reliance on every aspect of what freedom will be granted to you today. Now what's afforded to you under our Constitution, what's afforded to you under his direction? And then based upon the city you live in, that direction. And I'd tell you, if I weren't in South Florida and I were in New York, I, I would have half a mind to uh, to go to the beach and see if Bla- de Blasio would actually drag me out of the water. I'd like to see what happened. Anyway, how did we get here? It wasn't Trump that did this, right? He's not the one that shut everything down this way. Yeah, he put out the emergency declarations. Yes, we have recommendations that were made. 
This is the ultimate reminder that all elections matter and that we should never take our constitutional rights for granted. You know, I have a saying when it comes to elections. It's something that I routinely preach during every election cycle, but especially municipal election cycles. You know, the one that people generally will pay the least amount of attention to. Saying is that every election matters and the ones closest to you often have the biggest impact on your day-to-day life. If you've ever lived in a community with an overactive HOA, you certainly can relate, right? That's a form of government. Yeah, but the, the pandemic, it's brought this into focus like never before in our lives. Because it's not the federal government that has decided today whether your business are open or is going to be open or closed, right? It starts with the state government, all right? So first, your governor. Now, already in this moment, the governor has become more important than the president of the United States. You realize that? In determining if your business is going to be open, if your job is going to exist today, if either of them do, how much you're going to be allowed to make, how much business you're going to be allowed to do. And then, based upon what your governor decides they're going to allow us to do, in a completely un-American way, then we get down to maybe a county government. And we get to see what the county dictators would like to see happen, and then what rights they're going to allow uh, us to engage in today. becomes their big moment. And then, if we get through our county governments and whatever they're set up in dictatorship, looks like, well, then we get to our municipal governments. And they get to decide, ultimately, if we have a job today, how much money we get to make today, whether we get to go to the park today, whether we're going to get pulled out of the water if we go to the beach, which, by the way, is not observing social distancing, just as an aside. So this is the thing. What we are living is the quintessential example of all elections mattering. And those that are closest to us in geography often having the biggest impact over our day-to-day lives. Now, I have the information that's available for South Florida, which I keep up with. I've got the percentages, but I have a feeling it will be a, a similar version of a different thing for you and your state, your community. If you take a look, for example, in South Florida, Turnout for presidential elections, 74%. Turnout for midterm elections, 50%. Turnout for municipal elections, 12%. Barely more than 1 in 10 people turning out for the elections that determine whether you have a job, whether you have a business, how much of any of that you're going to be allowed to have. But that also takes us to another. How did this happen? Now, we've seen some recent successful constitutional challenges and rebellions in states like Oregon and Wisconsin. But there is a big, big misstep many of us weren't paying attention to, and it happened within local elections. What our state legislators have done. Had a number of questions. How is it? And local governments can decide these things. They aren't supposed to have that authority. We have constitutional rights. We have freedoms. How can they tell me I can't operate my business? Well, 
take a look at the law and take a look at what was granted within your state to the governor and what was granted during emergency declarations to your county government and what was granted during those emergency times to your mayor. You might be shocked. And all that happens while we're not minding the store. I'll pull up some examples and give you very specifically some language that should be terrifying. But if I'm raising my hand and saying, I'm Brian Mudd, I didn't realize the statutes that were passed in my state. I'd be lying to you. I didn't know. And I am paying attention. And I do turn out to vote in every election. The point is, we all have work to do. Freedom's never been free, right? We know that. But we have an example of just how fragile it really can be given an opportunity to take it away. And the problem is with governments, what do they do? They go ahead and they take action. And even if we're right, even if we're justified, even if our constitutional freedoms have been infringed, they make it our problem. And it's up to us to prosecute against. It's up to us to legally challenge. It's up to us to fight in the courts. And that takes time. And it's no guarantee based upon how your court system works in your given state. It's unfortunate. But again, every election has a consequence. And the ones closest to us always will matter the most in our day-to-day lives. We'll talk about some of those specifics. Be right back. Brian Mudd in for the great one. Mudd in. At Hillsdale College, faith and learning are integrated in pursuit of a common end. And I've been talking a lot about four pillars of the Hillsdale College mission. Learning, character, faith, and freedom. Today, I'd like to focus on faith. As the founders of our nation knew, God is indeed the first authority and the motive toward which all learning moves. Hillsdale understands that we come to really know things through reason and faith. And their students are taught to pursue truth through both. Founded in 1844 by Christians, students of all faiths are welcome at Hillsdale College and always have been. How does the college teach the essentials of the Christian faith and religion, all students must take a course, the Western theological tradition, as part of Hillsdale's rigorous core curriculum. The college also offers majors in religion, philosophy and religion, and Christian studies. Hillsdale's campus is a welcoming place in which to discuss and practice faith. Respectful dialogue among Christians of different denominations and with students of non-Christian faiths is just one hallmark of this stellar college. Now to learn more, visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. levinforhillsdale.com. While we're in the midst of a global pandemic, it's really important that to the best of our ability, we observe the best practices to keep ourselves and our families safe. You gotta be... (laughs) I mean... Seriously? Seriously. Here you have... Midland, Michigan. God bless those people. We go through the pandemic, and now you've got this flood? Flood stage 24 feet. You probably have seen the pictures. Horrible flood. What they're calling this 500-year flood. And what Gretchen Whitmer, the governor of Michigan, is worried about? Well, we've got this uh, you know, flood, but you've really got to... Is that... Are you... Hold on. Are you evacuating within six feet? It looks like you're five feet from each other. Go arrest these people. I mean, are we? that's what we're concerned with? Seriously. Again, it's the priorities. It's the priorities. 
we see in times of adversity who people really are, what they really stand for. Brian Mudd in for Mark Levin and talking about the abuse of power by our governments, by our state governments, by our local governments. Talking about how often it's the elections and the elected officials that are closest to us geographically that are most important in our lives. Yet they're naturally the ones we pay the least amount of attention to. The ones that we have the lowest turnout for. The ones where often you have candidates that run unchallenged. Term after term after term. Sound familiar? How did it get this, to be this way? I mentioned uh, the onset. The reason that so many of these governments are able to carry out the actions they've carried out is because we've allowed them to. And we go, hold it. How how did we allow this? I didn't allow this. Look at the United States Constitution. I have rights. They're being trampled on. Correct, they are. But remember, it requires a legal challenge, and you have to be successful in that legal challenge to obtain those constitutional rights if you have the government that decides close to you you don't have those rights, and they're going to use law enforcement to impose their will against you. Now, in my state, Florida, this is what the state legislature has done to grant the executive authority to the extent they have. This is what the actual statute says pertaining to emergency declarations. And I bet you it's something very similar in your state. It says the governor is responsible for meeting the dangers presented to this state and its people by emergencies. In the event of an emergency beyond local control, the governor may assume direct operational control over all or any part of the emergency management functions within this state. And she or he shall have the power through the proper process of law to carry out the provisions of this section. Pursuant to the authority vested in her or him, the governor may issue executive orders, proclamations, and rules, and may amend or rescind them. Such executive orders, proclamations, and rules shall have the force and effect of law. The force and effect of law. States that pass policy saying, you are the law if you declare an emergency. That's how we got here. That's part of our problem. And the solution is going to have to be us paying more attention and engaging. Be right back. Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin. At Hillsdale College, faith and learning are integrated in pursuit of a common end. And I've been talking a lot about four pillars of the Hillsdale College mission. Learning, character, faith, and freedom. Today, I'd like to focus on faith. As the founders of our nation knew, God is indeed the first authority and the motive toward which all learning moves. Hillsdale understands that we come to really know things through reason and faith. And their students are taught to pursue truth through both. Founded in 1844 by Christians, students of all faiths are welcome at Hillsdale College and always have been. How does the college teach the essentials of the Christian faith and religion, all students must take a course, the Western theological tradition, as part of Hillsdale's rigorous core curriculum. The college also offers majors in religion, philosophy and religion, and Christian studies. Hillsdale's campus is a welcoming place in which to discuss and practice faith. Respectful dialogue among Christians of different denominations and with students of non-Christian faiths is just one hallmark of this stellar college. Now to learn more, visit LevinforHillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. LevinforHillsdale.com. 
Gmail.com. The Mark Levin Show is tomorrow's morning show. You can reach Mark now at 877-381-3811. Experts are describing this as a 500-year event. It's going to have a major impact on this community and on our state for the time to come. I tell you, you, you talk about how fragile our freedom really is. And you see how quickly it was taken away from us. And you see how even in the middle of a tragedy, you have Michigan's governor, and I'm talking about the tragedy at the flood, who is placing priority on the pandemic. Because that's been her MO, right? That's been her thing. We can't let off the gas on that one, even in the middle of people fleeing for their lives. You see the priorities of the decisions we make. I was thinking about uh, Kentucky today. By the way, Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin. Mark will be back with us on Tuesday. I was thinking about Kentucky this week. It's been interesting to see the dichotomy across the country based upon leadership. Based upon governors who have chosen to allow as much freedom as possible, given circumstances, the recommendations of health officials, and without the benefit of hindsight at the time. Here you had Kentucky and had a governor, Matt Bevin, who I have no doubt would have taken a look at what was going on in Georgia. Remember in Georgia's being mocked for the reopening? Oh my gosh, you know, this Governor Kemp, he's going to get everybody in Georgia killed. He doesn't like black people, you know, because it was, you know, we we're hearing about how you know, black people in Atlanta were the hardest hit, and, and this must even be a racist thing. Those stories were out there. If you didn't catch them, it actually existed. But the thing about it is, funny thing happened as Georgia reopened on April 24th with the most aggressive reopening measures in the country. Cases declined day by day, now week by week. Nothing but improvement, along with people being able to get their freedoms back quicker, along with people able to reclaim their jobs quicker, their businesses quicker. Now, your godless souls and slanderous news media never goes back and corrects the record, never issues an apology, never tells you this truth. Just like my governor, Ron DeSantis in Florida. Across the country, you probably came across the hit pieces on him. This incredibly irresponsible man who didn't lock down all of South, the, the state like South Florida in the early going. Man who actually allowed beaches. For, you know there are actually beaches in Florida that never closed during this whole thing? Yeah, no kidding. Oh, and did you know that in, in Florida, the third most populous state, we are ninth in the country in total cases, 11th in deaths. Demonstrable outperformance on every level by being one of the least strict states in the country with beaches in some places that were never locked down. And had it not been for the decisions of local governments, far more freedom than even has been present throughout much of this state, including South Florida, where I am, throughout the entire course of this process. But the headpiece is done on DeSantis. And when the Jacksonville beaches reopened, Weeks ago, you know, a funny thing happened there. Nothing but fewer and fewer cases day after day, week after week. But that is not the the fortune of a state like Kentucky. They let go of a governor who would have erred on the side of the individual. 
would have erred on the side of liberty. Now, instead, Kentucky, you went with the Democrat, and look what you got. You're reopening with the likes of Connecticut, the likes of the other Democrat wannabes, the ones that abuse power around every turn, never let a crisis go to waste, decide when you're going to get to go to work again, how much money you're going to be allowed to make once you do, whether or not you're going to be able to open your business. If you do, what percent of business you're going to be allowed to conduct? As though these people have ever run a business a day in their lives, and who the hell can survive on 25% capacity for anything, seriously? But they care more about what? You? You or their power? Our Constitution or having control? Your ability to prosper to be successful or your reliance on them for that next government check? Let's go to John in Kingman, Arizona. John, go. You know, we are witnessing... I got. I have to say, a political genius in President Trump, and and here's how I, I think this. Um, at first, when this was all starting to come to an end, you know, he said, you know, I'm going to open up the, uh, and I'm the, you know, end all be all say all of opening up the states. Well, then the liberal media just lost their minds, going, oh no, that's up to the governors. And then he came back, and honestly, I believe that he, him and his people said, you know what. Let's give it to the governors, because then this could go one of two ways, horribly wrong or the greatest thing ever. And he wasn't, I don't believe he was too worried about the Republican governors, but he knew with the Democrat governors, you give them enough rope and they were going to hang themselves. And that's exactly what they're doing. And he can't be blamed for one thing that's going wrong in those liberal states. Uh, that's true. But I also think that he was erring on the side of the Constitution. He's also surrounded by people who would be advising him accordingly rather than acting as the dictator from on high from the presidency, adhering to our Constitution and allowing the states to take on the authority that they are granted under these situations, being responsible from a point of governance under the way this country was founded. That ultimately is what the president has done. Now, a byproduct of it may very well be what you're talking about. But ultimately, you know, I, I don't know that that was his intent going in. And it's hard to know. One thing, you know, we would like to think in times of adversity, we see the best out of people. You know, the closest thing we can relate this to is what? 9-11, right? Extraordinarily different circumstance. But during that small window of time, we really did see people come together. We really did see across the partisan spectrum, you know, a rally around the flag, around the country, around the president, around doing the right thing. We have nothing, nothing along those lines this time. The reason is we have the opportunism that's entered into the fray here. And the opportunism is we have an ability to declare emergencies. So even after 9-11, you weren't going to be able to have you know, states declare emergencies in their states, whereby you would have you know, governments at the state and at the local level that would be able to use this extraordinary authority for most states this side of natural disasters this is the first time that it's been used and now we see what these people are really made of let's go to annette in louisville kentucky annette go annette uh, you're on go Yes, 
Um, I was explaining to the call screener that I'm calling from Kentucky and a conservative public school teacher, which is a rarity. Um, and I think the problem is that uh, Bashir is in office because the teachers put him there. And it's kind of a vicious cycle here with this opening up. They, they're all drinking the Kool-Aid and the stay home, stay safe. And um, we're hearing talk from various administrators how these kids definitely are going to start up with distance learning in the fall. And we may not go back till after Christmas. And it's just unbelievable. Um, we can't even open our pools here in Kentucky for some odd reason. Um, it's, yeah. We're, well, you can't we're, be trusted in your pool. I know, I know. You know how it is, some of these pools and uh, the parties and the drinking. But, yeah, it's, you know, you're outside, there's chlorine. Um, The kids are usually with their own family anyway. It's not like my kids go and hang out with other families when we go to the pool. But, yeah, I mean, we're even in a private situation in a neighborhood pool, and um, they even closed, there are like three pieces of equipment in our neighborhood, like gym or whatever you want to call it. Um, and the lawyers advised the neighborhood association that people should not be allowed to go in there. Um, it's it's crazy. Oh, yeah. it is. It is. And what do you think, uh, you know, you live in, you know, a, a representative republic somewhere where your interests are represented by the public servants? I mean, that is the irony here, ultimately, right? Not only do we have a, uh, our Constitution that grants our freedoms and liberties, which are being trampled on, but... Uh, the other end of this is these people are elected to literally serve our interests, right? So whose interests are they serving? Uh, certainly not yours, Annette, and, and certainly not people in Kentucky. And the important thing is that you this is not it's something that's ever taken for granted again. And from the local level all the way to your state government, people need to pay attention. So let this be a teachable moment. Get out there, spread the message, and don't let people uh, do this one again. It, you know, if we're going to from a point of liberty and a point of the Constitution, not let this crisis go to waste. That needs to be what comes out of this. Never let this happen again. Take responsibility for our local elections. Get engaged. Get candidates running that uh, will uphold our freedoms if they're in the position to do so. Let's go to Mike in Columbus, Ohio. Mike, go. Hi. Uh, I am one of your more um, lefty lip listeners. I occasionally flip flick over to this channel. Um, so just just hear me out for a second. Um, you keep talking about, like, in Democrat, under Democratic governors, it's this, and under Republicans, it's that. Well, my family lives in Ohio here and in Maryland, and we have Republican governors and very, very strict restrictions. I've been working from home reluctantly because I am not – I did not drink the Kool-Aid. I didn't believe a lot of the data as a liberal – um, and I still don't, but I'm telling you that Republicans like DeWine can be just as hardcore. In fact, our court today had to rule their order unconstitutional because yeah. of how far DeWine yeah. has gone. And DeWine has totally said that he will veto any bill he has. They, have, they pick, they choose, they try to decide what businesses can stay open. They have ventured into, even I, as a very liberal person, to what I find uh, unconstitutional. And I'm all for, you know, I, I wish that President Trump, you know, for the first three weeks had been a little more hardcore and stopped calling governors snakes and, and stopped calling it a hoax, which you guys know he did, and just just done it then. Just shut the, sh- the shit down then. Whoa. All right. So we got the... All right, Mike, I hear your passion, and I appreciate the 
libertarian streak within you. I, I want to illustrate a point here. We have, uh, you know, a, a language matters, and I believe that interpretation matters. And I tend to be, when I'm discussing these types of issues, somewhat literal in the approach. You've not heard me say at any point tonight, Republicans this and Democrats that, and there's a reason for it. You're right. There is not a partisan monopoly on power grabs. There are plenty of things I've seen done in my state. As good of a job as unbalanced Ron DeSantis has done, given the lay of the land, and in comparison to the rest of the country, there are plenty of things that I'm not comfortable with. Plenty of things I don't think should have happened. So, yes, you certainly do have Republican governors that have violated constitutional rights as well. I've used the term leftist because, without a doubt, that is a big part of the philosophy. It's been many decades in the making. So, to that end, yes, it's not a Democrat-Republican thing. It is someone who believes in liberty and freedom and constitutional rights versus those that are going to use the opportunity of emergency declarations to abuse power. And it's something that we, regardless of our partisan persuasion, should pay attention to. Because the one thing that is different, but like uh, Annette from Kentucky, she was talking about the teachers union. Well, we know the teachers union is getting theirs, right? We know they don't have to worry about where their paycheck is coming from, right? Because you might be unemployed. Your business might have been put under by the decisions of the state and by the local government in Kentucky. But you're still going to have to pay the taxes. You're going to pay the teachers union that voted for that governor that did all this to you, right? You know, you always will hear, you know, teachers this and heroes that. Uh, you know what? You've got good and bad teachers. Teachers unions engage in what I believe to be evil most of the time by virtue of what they do with our tax dollars and the partisanship that's engaged with it. 98% of the NEA's money goes to Democrats. How is that serving the public interest? So, yes, it's a good point uh, that uh, it is not specific to a Democrat or a Republican. Uh, and you get to see, during again, during times of adversity, you get to see the true colors. Uh, real quick, let's go to Barry in Florida. Barry, go. Hey, Barry, you're up. All right. Hello. Barry, you're on. All right. Hi, Brian. How are you? All good. Well, listen, you know, uh, uh, a lot of people uh, talk about the uh, radical, socialist, Democrat despots. My family experienced it personally. My brother died in a nursing home not too long ago in Brooklyn, New York. My family's originally from Brooklyn, and Queens. I moved to Florida in 1990. I got an email from my from my nephew telling me that my brother, who had been in a nursing home for a couple of years, died. When I inquired as to whether or not the COVID-19 had spread into that nursing home, he said yes. And I'm, he, he I'm so it. sorry, Barry. I'm so sorry. And it is a tragedy. You had states that put people in nursing homes. And now we know what that ended up doing. It's terribly unfortunate. It's terribly sad. And again, uh, you know, it's a reminder. All elections have consequences. God bless you and your family. I'm sorry for your loss. Be right back. Brian Mudd in for the great one. Mud Lovin.
At Hillsdale College, faith and learning are integrated in pursuit of a common end. And I've been talking a lot about four pillars of the Hillsdale College mission, learning, character, faith, and freedom. Today, I'd like to focus on faith. As the founders of our nation knew, God is indeed the first authority and the motive toward which all learning moves. Hillsdale understands that we come to really know things through reason and faith, and their students are taught to pursue truth through both. Founded in 1844 by Christians, students of all faiths are welcome at Hillsdale College and always have been. How does the college teach the essentials of the Christian faith and religion? All students must take a course, the Western theological tradition, as part of Hillsdale's rigorous core curriculum. The college also offers majors in religion, philosophy and religion, and Christian studies. Hillsdale's campus is a welcoming place in which to discuss and practice faith. Respectful dialogue among Christians of different denominations and with students of non-Christian faiths is just one hallmark of the stellar college. Now to learn more, visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. levinforhillsdale.com. Going forward, we're going to continue to surge supplies and testing and do the kind of surveillance in our nursing homes and long-term care facilities that will prevent uh, any outbreak among our most vulnerable. And the vice president today talking about the rollout of PPE across nursing homes and the testing across nursing homes that is uh, going to take place uh, in Orlando with that announcement today with our governor, uh, Ron DeSantis, who has done an exceptional job. Now, uh, one thing I wanted to uh, to point out is the reopening effort. You know, we had all this information in hand that, uh, you know, these lockdowns are going to be the most effective way to deal with this. I've got information, got a story about how masks are actually proven to be more effective than lockdowns at this point. But also, we have plenty of information showing that, hey, you know what? We can reopen, and we can reduce cases at the same time. Did you know? Yesterday, on Tuesday, we had the fourth lowest day of new cases reported since March 29th. Fourth lowest day of cases since March 29th. And pretty much everybody, except for Ned Lamont's Connecticut, in some phase of reopening. We also had testing going on across the country that was double what it was on March 29th. So we can reopen while increasing testing and reduce cases. It's almost like we don't have to wait for our dictators and government to tell us when it's safe to come out, when it's safe to live our lives, when it's safe to have a job again, when it's safe to reopen our business, when it's safe to go to the beach. When it's safe to go in the pool. Be right back. Brian Mudd in for the great one. Mark Levin. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Your lights are off. The doors are locked. The People's House has shown up for a grand total of two legislative session days since March. (laughs) Now, first I thought that uh, McConnell was doing his version of Edgar Allan Poe. But uh, then I realized that now he was talking about the House of Representatives. Now, I, I'm on the fence about this one. Really on the fence about this one. How many people, show of hands, how many people really want to see Nancy Pelosi back at work? You know what I'm saying? 
So in the, in the grand scheme of things, and you know, often the best laws are the ones that are never made. Not having the House of Representatives work but two days in recent months, that arguably could be one of the more constructive things that's come out of the coronavirus crisis. Well, that and whatever uh, is inside of Nancy's freezer, that's a whole other. So I'm on the fence about this one. But yes, uh, the socially distanced, and by socially distanced, I mean staying at home House of Representatives, uh, does stand in contrast to the United States Senate. Mitch, just keep the judges getting confirmed right now. That might be the single most important thing at the moment. Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin. I uh, host the Morning Rush. WJNO in West Palm Beach, the Brian Mudd Show, WIOD in Miami. You may follow me at Brian Mudd Radio. Always an honor and a pleasure to be here for the great one. He will be back with us on Tuesday. We're talking about in the first hour, the trampling of our constitutional rights and the egregious abuse of power that we've seen on display, not from the federal government, but from local governments, starting with the state government. If you have a governor who took advantage of the opportunity to exert executive authority over you, they, in essence, became your ruler, right? They determined if you were going to be allowed to go to work. They decided what an essential business was and what wasn't. They decided if you have a business, if you get to operate, if you do get to operate, at what percentage you get to operate. In essence, they got to decide if you get a job. And if so, how much money you make. And then also, you are put in a position because of their actions, often have to wait on a government check to arrive. Some cases battling failed unemployment systems at the state level. In other cases, just hoping that there would be something around the corner. Which does take us back to the federal government. How sad it is that we, during the time of record prosperity, immediately gave way to a time of desperation where we're waiting on a check to arrive from the government. No fault of our own. That is quite literally anti-American. One of my greatest fears is that we lose the desire to take a risk. I've been talking to a lot of listeners, a lot of business owners in my community, all throughout South Florida during this entire thing. And there was one business owner that reached out to me last week that opened my eyes to a prospect that was as scary to me as anything I've thought of during the course of my career. What makes the United States of America great? You know, almost the entire world, what's different about them versus us? Over 80% of the world's population is not truly free. More than 8 in 10 people around the world don't have rights, except that are given to them by government. That's what makes the United States different from the time of their founding. But we don't get to, you know a, a series of laws allowing us to do things. It's just the opposite. We are born free because we're Americans. And then we only have some restrictions, and those restrictions, based upon our Constitution, really only were designed to kick in if we infringed on other people's rights, right? We have freedom of expression unless we use it to harm others, for example, right? So this owner reaches out to me, 
And he was asking me for advice, which is not uncommon. My background outside of radio is in business. But I didn't have any good advice for him. Instead, it freaked me out. Because what he said is, look, I, I've lost a lot of money. Business being shut down. Non-essential business. And I have money that I can put back into my business. And he's operated this business for over 20 years. Said he has bit money to put back into his business. But he, de- he can't afford to lose it. So in other words, if he puts this money in for everything he's already lost. And he starts back up again. It has to work. Or else he's literally putting his family's home and everything at risk. Can't do that. And the reason that he had a question about it. Not because he believes that he would fail putting money to get his business going again. But because of the fear of government stepping back in. So what happens if I do this and I go out. And then a few months down the line, there's round two of this virus and the mayor says, you're shut down again and I'm out of business. How can I take that chance? How can I take that risk? What would you do? Why the hell are we having that conversation? Does that sound like the United States of America? That should scare the living crap out of everybody. I don't care what your politics are. That is quite literally the antithesis of what this country was founded on. Having to worry not about whether you'll be successful based upon the volition and execution of your business, but whether you have a mayor that decides that you're going to shut down based upon their whim. Holy crap. That's what's at stake here. When I talk about every election having consequences and the election that is closest to you having the biggest impact on your day-to-day life, yet it always being the election, the one being closest to you, that we pay the least amount of attention to. You know, it's been really scary. And I raise my hand and say, I'm Brian Mudd. I'm guilty of this. I've taken in more county and municipal meetings virtually during this pandemic that I have in the past five years. That's unfortunate, even for somebody who day in and day out minds this door. You know what goes on there? A lot of stuff that would blow your mind. How many meetings have you been paying attention to? Has your opinion, has your voice been heard at these meetings? With these local governments that have been deciding whether you have a job, whether you have a business, whether you get to go to the park, whether you get to breathe the the way they feel that you should be breathing, whatever their whim is. Recently, um, interviewed the president and a great opportunity, real tremendous honor. And we were talking about, among other things, about our governor. Now, if you followed at all what's been going on in uh, Florida, and it's made national news. You have had the uh, the Godless Souls and Slanders news media do everything they can to try to take down our governor. Won in a very close election in 2018, and he has been exceptional. Had record high approval ratings in our state prior to this pandemic. And time and time again, with no truth behind the reality that had been presented by news media, he has been presented as being a rube, as putting people at risk, Blood on his hands. It's all a bunch of bullcrap. Talked about the president about that very point. 
Speaking of impressive people, in addition to yourself, you met with our governor earlier this week, and we just had the big announcement by Governor DeSantis that Florida will begin the phase one reopening on Monday. Your thoughts about our state's success and our governor's performance? Well, he's doing great. You know, I backed Ron, and Ron was uh, a great congressman, actually, and I never thought. I said, gee, you want to run? And he said, yeah, boy, I'll tell you, we went out and he went out and did a great job. He's a great governor, doing one of the best, and he's very popular in your state. He's he's way up there in the polls, as you know. But he's uh, he's doing, he loves the state, he loves the people. And, uh, you know, we all got hit with this uh, this plague that should have never happened, frankly. It could have been stopped in China, should have been stopped in China. But we all got hit by this plague. But he has done a fantastic job. Couldn't couldn't do better. Well, and of course, the fake news, they do what fake news does. From South Florida all the way around the world, they've been trying to do him in, in part because of that popularity you talked about. Here we said Florida's eighth in cases. We are tenth in deaths. We're the third most populous state. And the only state that's tested more than us is New York for the obvious reasons. So what do you ultimately think the key has been to our state dramatically outperforming the country as a whole? Well, I think it's just good management. He's he's called every shot right. He knows what he's doing, and yet he hasn't clamped down to a point where nobody can breathe. You know, I mean, he's he's let people live, and he is he has really done a good job. And you're right, uh, relatively speaking, size wise, you're in great shape. So, and he's been recognized for it. But you know, the fake news doesn't want to. They get on him, and they'll get on on him for something. They'll find some number somewhere. But it's hard to find on this. So uh, if there's a number, it's like a weak spot. If any any little kind of a bad number, even if it has some, even if it's something else, uh, and or they'll make it up. You know, frankly, they've been known to do that. You know that very well. But you were uh, saying that ultimately. It, the the governor's done a good job, and here you are talking about this local business that been uh, put under right now. Got a business owner doesn't know if he can put money back into the business because he doesn't know if he can trust whether it'll be shut down again. Well, the problem, not the governor, problem, the local government, his municipality, the mayor. It's anti-American. It shouldn't be that way. And by the way, this is nothing to do with being anti-smart and safe. I'll address that coming up in uh, just a minute. There are plenty of ways that we can be smart and be safe and that we should. Been super careful throughout this entire process. Quite literally, today, I went to Chick-fil-A through the drive-thru today, which was an amazing operation to watch them operate that whole deal. Uh, I, during this entire process, because my wife has asthma, I've been to my radio studio here, where almost everybody else doesn't uh, come to work these days, and I've been to the uh, gas station across the street three times, otherwise to the house. We've had everything delivered. I believe in being smart and being safe. But first and foremost, I believe in our Constitution. I believe in our civil liberties. And I understand that they've been trampled on. And never again shall we have a local business that's been successful for over 20 years put under and then have to worry about whether he can put money into his business because his mayor he can trust. Anti-American. Time to take our country back, starting with where we live right at home. Brian Mudd, in for the great one. Mudd Lovin. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? 
This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. I have a doctor in the White House. I said, what do you think? And it's just a line of defense. I'm just talking about as a line of defense. I'm dealing with a lot of people. <laughs> you mean uh, you mean the president didn't walk out there to the uh, street corner, Pennsylvania Avenue, and uh, ask somebody for the hookup? I mean, that's what you would have thought happened here. Here you have the president of the United States saying he's taking a controlled substance. Now, do you think the president of the United States just naturally has a controlled substance? Or do you think that there might be a physician involved with him obtaining the product? And so, you, you, I mean, now this could be an interesting conspiracy, I suppose. And you think about it for a moment. Is it possible that the White House doctor is actually part of the deep state and really is trying to do in the pre- Yeah, you know what? You, I mean, it, it, that would be quite the conspiracy. But this side of the president's doctor actually wanting to do him in. You think that he might be giving him good medical advice, and you think that uh, maybe it has something to do with his medical chart? You know, one of the things that I love is the hypocrisy being on display with the left and with your godless souls in Slender's news media. What do they always tell us? Well, this entire issue is what? A public health crisis. What have we been told needs to happen the entire time? Well, you need to leave it to the healthcare professionals, and you need to leave it to the scientists, right? Okay, so we're supposed to leave everything, including policy, by the way. Yeah, our freedom, our constitution. Yeah, screw that. And we got they can decide what policy is. We're we're gonna go ahead and 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 say that the constitution doesn't apply for this thing. Uh, so go. What say you, doctor? Okay, so we're in that environment. That's what we've been conditioned for by these people. And so the president of the United States is taking a drug that's been used to combat malaria for decades. He has his medical chart, of which nobody in the godless souls and slanderous news media is privy to. And none of the leftists on Capitol Hill or elsewhere. And he uh, goes ahead and prescribes a drug for the President of the United States, and he takes it. And being completely transparent, not necessarily, it's not necessary for the President to say this is going up, but he does. Just to illustrate the point, look. Safe. And so many words, the White House doctor said, I should take this thing. And he's being irresponsible. He's endangering his life. See, they expect you to be stupid. In in this case, they expect you not to realize that there was a doctor. And you might imagine a pretty good one. I mean, in the grand scheme of doctors, you would think that the White House doctor, the president of the United States personal doctor, somebody who who might be, you know, uh, uh, acceptable in providing a, a opinion about a prescribed drug, right? No, but, but we're supposed to believe that, like Nancy Pelosi, for example, she has more insight into what the president should be doing. She is really, in this example, the health expert. She really is the scientist. 
she ultimately knows what is best for the President of the United States. I mean, it just hypocrisy knows no bounds. Now, it's talking about being smart and being safe. We all should do that. This virus is real. If you take a look, we do know certain things about it. We do know, this is from the CDC, not the WHO. We're going to get into the WHO. Not only should we, we defund the WHO, we should be prosecuting all of the principles associated with it. And there damn well should never be a dollar of yours or mine that ever goes and funds that godforsaken organization. But we do know from the CDC, COVID-19, two and a half times more contagious than the traditional flu. And we do have a new study as well that shows that ultimately, in this country, it's been about 13 times more deadly than the traditional flu, which makes sense. If you take a look for all the comparisons between the two, you got about 40,000 Americans in the average year that die of the traditional flu. We already have over 90,000 Americans that have died of COVID-19 since March 1st, right? The threat is real. But is the threat to our Constitution greater? And have we ended up making mistakes and concessions that have caused more harm and have greater implications going forward? Probably. But here's the more important thing. Masks have actually proven to be more effective than lockdowns. Yeah, masks more effective than lockdowns. We'll talk about that and a little freedom coming up. Brian Mudd in for the gray one, Mark Levin. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Mark Levin, a champion of freedom. You know, you're one of the greatest champions of freedom in this country, if not in the English-speaking world, Mark. Call Mark at 877-381-3811. Look up the word confabulator. Someone who just really doesn't even know what the truth is and just says anything. And because he says it, then he believes it. Well, it was a laugh a minute today at Nancy's uh, weekly presser. But that one right there, there's so many revealing moments. So many precious revealing moments. Go look this up. Confabulator. What is she implying in that moment? By the way, it's Brian Mudd in for Mark Levin. Mark will be back with us on Tuesday. She's not even you little people. Yes, even you, my my servants in the press. You would not know what this word confabulator means. Go look it up. And certainly all of you little people out there that are watching, you go look up Confabulator, because that's what he is. There is constant condescent from this woman. I mean, she really does operate as though she's on this whole other plane, and the rest of us are just fortunate to be able to hear from our queen from on high. Just, uh... Instructive, teachable moments all the way. Now, talking about liberty, talking about freedom and how our rights have been trampled and how local governments in many cases, it hasn't been the federal government, is the president of the United States, the person who shut your state down, that shut your business down. 
that took your job away. That's deciding what's essential and what isn't. Deciding when you are allowed to reopen, what percentage of your business you get to operate in. That's not the President of the United States. It's your governor. And then if your governor decides that uh, you get some of your freedom back, well, then who does it kick to? It kicks to often your county government. And what do the benevolent dictators at the county government go along with? And then if you clear the county government, it comes down to your municipality. And what does your mayor have to say? And if any of these people in that whole chain decide that they don't think you should be doing something, well, you haven't been allowed to do it, right? Literally anti-American. Complete violation of our constitutional rights. And a reminder that every election has a consequence. And the elections that are closest to us in, in terms of geography often the single most important elections in our day-to-day lives. Let's go to Melinda in Oklahoma City. Melinda. Melinda, welcome to the show. Yes. Hello. Thanks, thanks Brian. Thanks for everything that you do. I Thank think you. I have two things. Yeah, I think I have two things going for me in that, number one, I'm a Republican, and number two, I'm a physician from Oklahoma, and I serve rural areas, so... You know, I, I listen to what's going on. You know, from the very beginning, when you're seeing these numbers out of China, you know they're not correct because China didn't have the testing capacity to check everyone right off the beginning for the coronavirus. They had no idea what the numbers were coming out. But now what we're seeing is the press, even if we reopened everything, people are scared to death. We're, even as my doctor's office, I mean, as a very busy doctor, my volume has dropped. We're seeing volume reductions everywhere. People are scared to death to go out and support businesses. So even if the governors or the mayors don't shut us down, the press is going to shut us down because they have people scared to death. My patients come in and they they think if they get it, it's an automatic death sentence. So there's so much negative press. You are highlighting an extremely important point, and it's a huge concern in all of this. We're taking a look at so many of the businesses that, have gone down, have gone under. Big chains, Pier 1 was the latest today, it's gone. You have local businesses that have been absolutely devastated. But one of the biggest travesties that's occurring in all of this, people in your situation, one of our biggest underserved areas generally in this country during normal times, people in need of medicine, in need of health care, in need of specialists, and rural settings all across this country. In our rural medical systems, those uh, physicians, people in your situation, uh, often don't have a lot of money and deep pockets to be able to dig down and keep things going. And we have seen enormous layoffs within healthcare because of the boneheaded decisions to not allow elective surgery. Why? Not because of any science or any you know medicine or any proof that it's going to harm people. But instead, just based upon a win, because they're the dictators. And Melinda, in your situation, are you um, are you personally in a situation, or do you know others that uh, might serve in a similar capacity that are not going to be able to continue to serve the communities that they've previously been serving? Boy, not yet, but it, it's probably coming. It's probably coming. A lot of our patients have lost their jobs and have lost their insurance, too. So, yeah, it's, it's around the corner if this keeps up, absolutely. 
All right. Well, thank you. May God bless you. And, uh, you know, keep doing what you're doing. Keep finding the good fight as well. It is absolutely appreciated. Let's go to Matthew. Matthew in Miami. Hey, Matthew, you're on. Go. Hi. Hey. Hi, I'm on. You're on. Brian, I had to do a double take. I heard you this morning on WIOD down here in Miami, and I didn't know what time it was. You've had a long day on the radio. What I want to say is, in hindsight, doesn't it make sense that it would come down to germs and viruses as to how the government, more so the Democrats, but the government is going to control your behavior because you, as born as you are, cannot tackle these germs, viruses. You are even a vessel for them. And only with the government, you know, can you live the prosperous life you once knew again. I'm curious to get your thoughts, especially since I'm keenly aware of the government structure that you're living within and uh, talk to your mayor, Francis Wars yesterday, as we're getting ready for the reopening in Miami, which happened today. Uh, how, how would you rank the governor's performance? How do you feel your local government has performed during this? Santos has done a really good job. I think it's good. He was more on the side of, you know, allowing things to continue. We can act intelligently. Uh, he, I think, you know, I, I think we, shut it down later and we're opening it up earlier and really clean tourism is our business and i think you're going to see all you know disney and all the parks and all of our establishments really give priority to hygiene and we're you know i think we're going to be on the 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 front of this race back to where we were and get our coffers full again your lips to god's ears appreciate you listening on iod and and certainly to the great one uh, in in his show you know, it's uh, interesting. I mentioned last hour that you can't necessarily just take a look at partisanship. You can't take a look just at an R or a D and make determinations about it. I am, first and foremost, someone who believes that you have to establish the premise. And if the premise of anything is false, anything built on it is too. Now, the premise of this country is what? We're born free. We have protected constitutional rights. Those matter more than whatever the particular issue of the day is, right? Because if we lose freedom, if we lose liberty, what do we have anyway? Now, we found ourselves in this situation. In the case of of Matthew in Miami, give me an example of this. I have concerns even with some of the actions that Governor Ron DeSantis took because while he has been among the most accommodating governors and has done an exceptional job based upon sheer performance. If you take a look at Florida's performance, again, third most populous state, ninth now in total cases, 11th in deaths, did not close down all of the beaches in the state even, did not close down most of the state until April in any capacity, except for South Florida, Palm Beach County, Broward, Miami-Dade, You have actually a Republican mayor of Miami-Dade County. I know this probably surprises people that are just uh, always associate South Florida with nothing but Democrats. Broward, yes. Palm Beach County, we're working on it. When I got down here 15 years ago, it was D plus 29. Now it's D plus 14. We're working on it. By the way, been working on Miami-Dade even to the extent it leans to. But there's a Republican mayor of Miami-Dade. There's also a Republican mayor of the city of Miami. But guess what? Dade, even though Florida reopened a couple weeks ago, Miami-Dade did not 
reopen until Monday. Miami didn't reopen until today. And it's being more restrictive. So again, you can't just necessarily take a look at party or partisanship and make ironclad determinations about things. And yes, um, this is something I always treasure, the opportunity to do this show. But I, I like, uh, I, I'm, I'm a gamer. You know, you, you give me an opportunity and I go for it. So when you hear me uh, fill in for the great one, Mark Levin, it is uh, the later point of my day. I uh, am on from 5 until 9 in West Palm Beach. I'm on from 10 until noon in Miami. And then uh, always a pleasure to be able to do this show. Uh, so long day for sure, but very rewarding at the same time. Let's go to Dale in Rockford, Illinois. Dale, you're up. All right. Oh, good. You're on. Go. Oh, hi, Brian. Uh, hey. Thank you uh, for the, uh, you're doing a good job for filling in for Mark. Thank you. And, uh, uh, you know, credit and attribution is really important. And uh, originally, we were calling this a Chinese virus because they were responsible for it. And that's, that remains true. Uh, but uh, as far as these shutdowns, I don't think we're giving correct attribution. Uh, uh, we we're calling it the COVID-19 shutdown when and here in Illinois, we absolutely have a Governor Pritzker shutdown. And here in my town, I've got uh, 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 Tom McNamara shut down because he closed the shoe stores. And he closed then said Walmart can stay open, but the the dress store has to close. Uh, so uh, we've got to start giving the credit. That's my opinion. Um, yeah, it's an awfully good point. And we talk about the definition of an essential business. Ultimately, that was completely an arbitrary decision, right? Yeah, Walmart gets so- remain open. Your, your local business, they don't get to stay open. I mean, think about that one for a moment. Who's benefited the most during the course of this lockdown? Here, one company you can point to above all others. Walmart would actually be second. Amazon.com would be number one. You start thinking about all this for a moment. You think about how a lot of technology has prospered while local businesses have been crushed. You take a look at some of the business plans that are being executed right now by some of those large companies and communities that have had those local businesses taken out. All very interesting at a certain level. Let's go to Anthony in Baltimore. Anthony, go. Well, uh, like I say, I, I think the, the president did a good job once things got going to ramp things up, but to uh, attribute success to a governor because he has less cases. I mean, Puerto Rico has less cases. Are they are they more better? Are they better run? Nicaragua has uh, less cases. Are they better run? We have to consider the environmental factors. You know, this virus does not like sunlight. And, you know, Florida has a lot of sunlight. So we, we have to kind of gauge the variables. But see, we don't know enough about this virus in order to make definitive statements. Ah, but you, know? you raise a really good point. And you did just say something that when the science was considered by our governor. Remember all the stories. And again, you could be anywhere USA. If you paid attention to the news and you've paid attention to any mainstream media outlets, I guarantee you, you have seen Ron DeSantis, governor of Florida, criticized on multiple occasions for a number of things, including for beaches. Now, spring break was a thing when this whole deal got going. But after that situation with the spring breakers, once that was done, we ended up having many beaches that never closed during the course of this whole pandemic in Florida. And we had beaches that reopened in mid-April in parts of northeast Florida, including Duval County, which is Jacksonville. Jacksonville Beach, sixth most populous area in the state of Florida. And guess what? We never saw an increase in cases. In fact, we saw a decrease in cases as people ended up going back out. To to your point, we have science that shows, oh, look at this. Vitamin D 
is the single most effective way the science has shown so far to help immunize ourselves against COVID-19. Maybe it was that science was considered in some of these decisions. And my point is, no, governors do have responsibility in this because DeSantis, in the case of Florida, could have shut down the entire state. He could have shut down every beach. He could have actually taken away an opportunity for people to get out in that sunlight. And to be able to get back and immunize themselves with something like vitamin D, naturally, and free, by the way. But he didn't. Didn't abuse that power. Now, there are local governments that have been so restrictive. But when it comes to policy, it matters. If you take a look demographically, since you're talking about governors gaining too much credit, what have you, Florida, not only the third most populous state, but given the demographics, so surprise no one, we happen to be the second oldest state in the country. We have the most vulnerable population in the entire country. Nursing home populations, senior citizens. We've got them like nobody this side of California and then some in certain respects. And what did we end up seeing? Dramatic outperformance. By the way, how many people come from outside this country into Florida? especially South Florida. How many people come from the Northeast, the epicenter? Awful lot. Had it not been for people coming from New York, for example, situation would be even better. But yes, policy did matter. Science was considered, and it should be. And that's been part of the problem that it hasn't been right along. I'm Brian Mudd, and for the great one. Mud Lovin'. was only quoting what doctors had said about him. So I was being factual in a very sympathetic way. I said, he's our president. We don't want our president taking something that could be dangerous, as the scientists have said it could be. The scientists. In a very compassionate way, Nancy Pelosi, calling the president morbidly obese. And again, her scientist. Maybe she means like Scientologist. Maybe she's... uh. You know, in, into Scientology, and, and that's what she's confusing the scientists with. Because, again, you actually have this uh, doctor, and he happens to be the president's personal physician, and he happened to be the one who ended up prescribing hydroxychloroquine to the president of the United States. So maybe she's confused with Scientology and what she was guided by. Anyway, talking about science and life and liberty. So... Masks have proven to be more effective than lockdowns. At this point, every state, even Ned Lamont, Connecticut, now in some states are reopening. But we do have research painted a picture of how much more constructive living life, living life, not in a lockdown, but actually what the mask appears to be, rather than you know just staying at home waiting for our dictators to send us government checks and wait to see if we'll be granted freedom at some point. So, anyway, taking a look, uh, recently I'd I'd gone through some analysis and identified that 84% of newly diagnosed COVID-19 cases during the first week of May came from people staying at home. All right? That made staying at home only 1% safer than being a frontline worker. But here's the thing. There was a study entitled Universal Masking is Urgent in the COVID-19 Pandemic. This made big news, of course, right? No, it wasn't. Anyway, 
They determined that when 80% of the population wears a mask in public, it's more effective than everybody being locked down. Two sides of stories, one side of facts. Be more, back with more facts, right here. Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. China and the World Health Organization seemed to us they were in collusion, they were covering up the Chinese story, there was a lack of action, a lack of information. And those were outlined in the president's very tough letter to the World Health Organization. The director of the Economic Council, the chief economic advisor to uh, President Trump, Larry Kudlow, on China and the WHO. And not the good WHO. Not the one that's brought joy and entertainment to millions. Now, the ones that have brought this virus to billions. Now, the WHO is a criminally corrupt organization. And it is a travesty that we're funding it. In fact, when you think about what we've paid for and what's happened here, there are so many things that come to mind, and every last one of them has to do with those people going behind bars. Every principal at the WHO. I was thinking about this earlier today. I wonder, in the context of the here and now, who's worse, the deep state or the who? Now, you have the uh, revelations today about, uh, Susan, right, the, the declassified memo, the email that conveniently Susan Rice on Inauguration Day sent to herself 15 depicting a meeting that took place 15 days earlier in which we were supposed to believe that uh, Barack Obama went, Masking? I, I do not, well, we, what does this matter? Is it Halloween? Oh, is that Halloween? It has to do with uh, revealing Americans? Okay. We're going to do things by the book. Uh, it's got to be by the book. By the book. And then James Comey. He of his mistitled book. It should have been Tall Tales by James Comey. Anyway, uh, so James Comey. Yes, by the book. That's the way we do things around here. It actually, if you go through the horse crap of a memo that's been declassified from Susan Rice, you actually have her suggesting <laughs> that Barack Obama... And James Talltales Comey said, we're doing this by the book. Nobody talks that way. You don't even lie well. My gosh. So anyway, it, it, but in the here and now, who's worse? The deep state actors, the people who laid the groundwork for the greatest conspiracy in the history of the United States of America, those that were colluding with Team Clinton and the DNC, who paid for, for the Steele dossier, who then ended up shopping it to the FISA court under illegal pretense, who then ended up using it to surveil Team Trump and eventually President Trump, the people that laid the groundwork for the Mueller investigation and the effort ultimately to impeach the president of the United States. All Those people, are they worse or is it the who? Because you can really make the case that the who is worse now. Because I'm pretty sure it's not a guarantee. But I'm pretty sure that the who is responsible for the death of more people than 
the deep state actors. Now, in fairness to the CDC, by the way, I'm Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin, host the Morning Rush WJNO West Palm Beach and uh, the Brian Mudd Show WIOD in Miami. And uh, you may find me at Brian Mudd Radio on Twitter. And always an honor and a pleasure to be here with you. The great one back with us on Tuesday. But in fairness to the CDC and other American institutions like the National Institutes of Health, the issue of misinformation has been facilitated from the word go by the corrupted WHO. Yes, occasionally we've heard the health experts like Dr. Anthony Fauci or Surgeon General Dr. Jerome Adams say things that made us go, what? Say what? Citing the WHO's misinformation. But they've not actually been the source of the misinformation. Now, whether it was the WHO's falsehoods back in January or their bogus mask recommendation in March, it's been them. They've been the consistent source of bad information during the pandemic. So, as U.S. intelligence has come to learn, the WHO was on the ground in China as early as at least last November, investigating what turned out to be COVID-19. Now, in December, you had Taiwan. They reached out to the WHO. They said, hey, we got this contagion thing. It's new. Looks bad. We don't know what to do with it. Looking for any guidance, anything from the WHO. They were ignored. And then you had the first official diagnosis of COVID-19. It was acknowledged on December 31st in Wuhan. Now, not only had the WHO been conspiring and covering up since at least November with China, but they went that next extra step that turned this into something especially deadly. On January 14th, the WHO issued this statement via Twitter. Preliminary investigations conducted by the Chinese authorities have found no clear evidence of human-to-human transmission of the novel coronavirus identified in Wuhan, China. So they didn't just cover up anymore. They said, no, no human-to-human transmission. Now, when you take a look at what ha- what came out of that, a lot of people will point to statements by Dr. Fauci back from January and some of the stuff in early February, which seemed to downplay the threat and make him out to be the bad guy because of it. Now, in fairness to him, the National Institutes of Health, they had no reason to believe in the beginning that the WHO, which had been on the ground studying the virus, that they had been lying. And this continued with the misleading information regarding masks. So not only had they been putting out this misinformation about masks not being effective, during a live web-streamed conference on March 30th, the WHO said flat out they did not recommend masks for healthy individuals. Now, what was that based on? Now, again, as the study showed, talking about this at the end of uh, the previous hour, there's nothing better that we can do as a society to combat the spread than to wear masks. And this is likely why Asian countries have generally fared comparatively comparatively well with the rest of the world, because it's been part of their culture, right? Now, we know during this time, why is it that the WHO would lie about the mask? Well, what was China doing during this time? Were they not rapidly storing PPE? In fact, did China not try to sell PPE to the rest of the world? I mean, China, corrupt bastards that they are, you had Italy. 
in the very early going of COVID-19 that donated PPE to China. Donated to China. And then China turned around and they tried to sell it back to Italy. Corrupt bastards. But that's China. You know, who, who would have thought that you can't trust the communists these days? And crazy, right? But the WHL, they're communists, and we pay for it. So is it possible that the WHO issued the recommendation so that there wouldn't be a run on masks until China had procured all the masks that they desired? Another deadly and false recommendation. And it underlines the problems with the World Health Organization. Now, President Trump, he's officially issued that letter and went out today. 30 days, 30 days that the WHO has to sh- uh, end up uh, shaping up or we will ship out our funds. We've already frozen some funds. I think that's way too generous because whether news media generally covers this or not, the WHO's decisions and their recommendations have led to the proliferation of illness, death, and the destruction of economies around the world, period. You and me. Us tax-paying schlubs in the United States, we foot 80% of the tab, 80% for the World Health Organization. We paid for this. And I never want another tax dollar of yours or mine to ever go to this corrupted institution. We absolutely should defund them. And the principals should be prosecuted. And it's also my view that we probably should provide a bit of the benefit of the doubt. To our health experts like Dr. Fauci and Adams. Now, I'm not saying that they are the people you, you turn to for constitutional rights because they're not. They don't seem like they think in those terms. That's why policymakers, our elected officials, are supposed to adhere to the Constitution. You know, they all take an oath along those lines. Be nice if they paid attention to it. But I don't see any evidence that they acted irresponsibly, only with the misinformation that they had been provided by the corrupt WHO. So again, who's worse, Deep State or the WHO? Now back to that whole Deep State thing for a minute. So the Susan Rice declassified memo. Remember, this is Susan Rice of Benghazi cover-up, right? This is the Susan Rice who goes out after the attack on our consulate in Benghazi and uh, shops the notion that a crappy YouTube video that nobody had ever heard of that had been put there over a year prior, caused a spontaneous reaction in Benghazi. And that's why it was all spontaneous. Not that uh, there had been warnings for months that there could be an attack on the consulate. Not that we could have American lives at risk. Not that they were requesting for help that very day. Not that the Obama administration would not allow American lives to be saved that night. That's Susan Rice, who has all that go down and is more than happy to go out there and peddle to the news media and all the Sunday shows the the made-up lies. So it's hard to believe that she might do something a little bit dishonest on the last day that she held a job in Washington. But who's covering it? Right. So the most pervasive form of bias in news media is what? It's omission. It's omission. It's what you don't hear. And so the single most important aspect 
of the Trump presidency, it didn't have to do with the economy when it was record-setting. It probably doesn't have to do with this pandemic response. The single most important thing from the word go, today, and four years from now, when he's wrapping up his second term, is going to be rooting out the corrupt actors. The people that laid the groundwork for this. Because just as the WHO didn't go from being an impartial and and truly objective health organization that cares about you as much as they care about themselves, to conspiring with communist China against all of our interests, that didn't happen overnight. There's a lot of work that takes to get in from here to there. It's the same way that you didn't have officials at the top level of the Justice Department, top level of intelligence agencies, top level of the State Department. Oh, and by the way, as we've come to learn, the President of the United States and the Vice President, though honestly, if Joe Biden says he doesn't remember any of this today, I believe the guy. Just saying. That he has plausible deniability at this point. Now, the removal of this instituted corruption within our government and within organizations we fund that have an impact on the entire world, but most importantly, our lives at the WHO, that is the single most important function of President Trump. Brian Mudd, in for the great one. Mark Lovin. I didn't um, say anything about the president. I, I gave him a dose of his own medicine. He's called women uh, one thing or another over time. And I, I thought he thinks that passes off his humor in certain cultures. And I thought that was what that was. In certain cultures. <laughs> She's talking there about uh, her having called the president morbidly obese. And, uh, well, I mean, you know, because he says things about women and in certain cultures, I guess that goes. (laughs) I mean, what cultures are we talking about? (laughs) What culture are you part of? I mean, uh, she was right during her uh, weekly presser today. I mean, if you take her, not in terms of Speaker of the House, but just, you know as she's trying to present herself as a serious person on this planet. Now, got an interesting one here for you. I was thinking about uh, various issues that I hadn't researched during the pandemic last week, and it, it kind of coincided when we started getting some information from Border Patrol. So illegal immigration has plummeted during the pandemic, and it's what's really behind it that is the fascinating story, because it's not just that uh, you know suddenly you had a bunch of people that were going to illegally cross the border and went, you know what, this virus thing, I don't think I'm going to take the chance. Well, that's not really what's behind it. All right, so here's the deal. According to the Customs and Border Patrol, we had just under 17,000 people who illegally crossed our southwest border in April. Now, I want you to think of a number. How big of a decline is that year over year? Got a percentage number in mind? You ready? It's an 85% decline. 85% decline in illegal immigration year over year. Yeah, in April 2019, we had more than 109,000 illegal crossings that were documented by the Border Patrol. Now, 
Why wouldn't those motivated to cross illegally into the United States suddenly decide uh, not to during the pandemic? I mean, if you're in distress and you're otherwise motivated to cross illegally, wouldn't you rather take your chances in the U.S. than Mexico? So it's possible lockdown measures in Mexico would have had something to do with it, right? I mean, if you can't get away, you can't get away. Eh, But here's the thing. Mexico's full lockdown measures, they ain't kick in until April 29th. So what appears to be the biggest factor? Yeah, those who've been organizing the illegal crossings in recent years. So a couple years ago, and I spoke about it multiple occasions on this particular show, filling in for the great one, at the peak of those caravan crossings at our southern border, I worked to expose the front organization behind the proliferation of caravans, the Chicago-based Pueblo San Fronteras. And they are the group that ended up organizing all around California, doing fundraisers in places like Glendale and San Francisco and San Diego, Los Angeles. In fact, uh, their very last one before the biggest caravan that's been done to date late in 2018, they actually held a concert, protest and rally outside the ICE detention center in San Diego. No kidding. Now, when they were doing all this, what they would then do is go to uh, radio and uh, print advertising in places like Honduras, Guatemala, Mexico, and they would encourage participation in the caravans. So then Pueblo San Fronteras would meet them down there. They'd provide food, toiletries. They'd arrange for transportation to make sure they get into these caravans. And then you would have representatives from the organization that would coach them. I want to say when they would get to our southern border, try to seek asylum, overwhelm the system. Well, guess what? Hasn't been happening during the pandemic. No organizing, no events, nothing on the Pueblo San Fronteras website. So no professional organizing from American leftists and 85% decline in illegal immigration. Brian Mudd and for the great one, Mark Levin. Mark Levin, the voice the liberals want to silence. But you can talk to Mark at 877-381-3811. So completely inappropriate in so many ways uh, that it's almost a given. It's like a child who comes in with mud on their pants or something. That's the way it is. They're outside playing. That's what it is. He comes in with doggy do on his shoes, and everybody who works with him has that on their shoes, too. Yeah, that happened today. Nancy Pelosi, God bless her. <laughs> I mean, and that wasn't uh, the, the extent of the intellectualizing or entertainment that was on display from the uh, Speaker of the House in her weekly presser today. Uh, but it was yet another instructive moment. That's the um, that's the person that we should all look up to right there. Now, talking about the corruption, the WHO, the president today officially sent out the letter to the WHO that you're going to end up meeting certain conditions. You're going to end up showing that you're not corrupt as hell or we're going to defund you. They, you got 30 days to do it. I pray that we are never giving another red cent to the WHO 30 days from now, regardless. The only thing they should be doing is uh, lining up for prosecution. Everybody in leadership at the WHO. But, uh, you know, I was talking about whether... They are actually the biggest problem or the deep state. You know, it's interesting because they all have something in common, and that is they were acting against your interests. Now, pertaining to the deep state, long thought that the single most important investigation that has taken place, that is taking place, is that of John Durham. 
And uh, recently I was able to interview President Trump and he brought up the situation with Flynn. And so I brought up the situation with Durham. And here's what the president had to say about his confidence in John Durham. Mr. President, since you went there, there is one person that I am watching as closely as any of this country for the real accountability for the conspiracy against you and this country, frankly, and that is John Durham. Do you ultimately believe that the deep state actors will be brought to accountability? I I really do, and I hope so, and I hope he's as tough and smart, even brilliant, as they say. You know, he's he's no games. Nobody talks to him. Nobody... uh, Knows much about him, and there's something nice about that. You don't hear a lot of leaks. You don't hear any leaks. Nope. There's no leaking. He's uh, working hard. He's working hard. And uh, General Flynn, uh, hopefully he's going to be fully exonerated. I'm watching that very closely. Roger Stone got uh, was treated horribly, in my opinion, Roger Stone. And you look at so many of them. I mean, I could go name after name what's happened. And it's all being caught. They had crooked cops. They had dirty cops at the top of the FBI. The FBI people are great. I love the FBI people. But you had a dirty group of cops at the top of the FBI and elsewhere. And one by one, they're being revealed. It's a beautiful thing. You have to say that, isn't Accountability it? Accountability is. We, we are still supposed to be a, a country of justice. Well, I would have loved to have done it in the first year instead of the, you know, later. But as long as it gets done. But... A really bad bunch of dirty cops. So uh, let's watch it over the next uh, number of weeks and months. It'll be very interesting. All right. So I want to believe. I'm in X-Files territory when it comes to John Durham. I want to believe because I am someone who still does have faith in this country, although it's tested at times. We did elect President Trump, though. And again, I think this is the single most important function of his administration to take these people out and to bring true accountability to our federal gov- government and organizations like the WHO, for that matter. By the way, the entire interview with President Trump, I tweeted out just a bit ago. If you go to at Brian Radio, you will uh, find that tweet and be able to listen to the entire interview. Let's go to Daniel in Los Angeles. Daniel, you're on. Yeah, musical interlude. Yeah, we're, we're uh, I guess some elevator music. All right. Daniel is uh, on hold in Los Angeles as well, given that uh, they're they're thinking about coming out, what, uh, August or so? Yeah, it's one of the uh, more fascinating things that's come about. Recently had Oregon, their governor's unconstitutional policy struck down, thankfully. You know, it's fascinating. It, 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 Oregon, I believe they had the executive order at the beginning of May put into July 6th. One of the, uh, you know, for these people who say they adhere to science and we should listen to the scientists and we should listen to the health experts who put together the three phase reopening plan for this country. Was it not the health experts? Did we not have the National Institutes of Health and the CDC that were the prominent players in providing the health guidelines for the reopening that was part of the Trump administration's three phase reopening plan? So what would we know about that? Let's say that all hell broke loose right now with this virus everywhere. It was just terrible. You realize that under the worst possible conditions at any moment in time, in less than a month and a half, we could be completely reopened if you listen to the health experts. Because remember, it works on a series of 14-day increments, 14-day trend in declining cases, 14-day trend in the rate of positive tests declining. 
and health systems not being overwhelmed, not being in quote-unquote crisis mode. So any executive action, even under the worst circumstances anywhere USA, you could tell would be nothing but a political power grab objective if it were done more than a month and a half out. So as you ended up having the executive action in Oregon, go until July 6th at the beginning of May. Unconstitutional, yes. Revealing at the same time. Los Angeles. Talking about August, potentially. Certainly don't believe in your liberties, your rights. Certainly have a lot of corrupt governments out there. Let's go to Nikki in Berlin, Connecticut. Nikki, go. Oh, hi. <laughs> hey, Nikki. Hi, how are you? Yeah, welcome to uh, the rest of the 49 states as your state has decided to uh, re-engage the union to a certain degree. Are you enjoying your, your first day of uh, semi-reopening? <laughs> Do you want my real answer? <laughs> because, <laughs> because I think a lot of people seem to forget about Connecticut because... We're near some pretty heavy hitters. Like, we're right near um, New York, right, in New Jersey. So they're getting pretty much all the press. But what, what people don't know is that we're pretty much on lockdown. Like, make no mistake about it, we are not even in phase one. If you talk to Lamont, Governor Ned Lamont, who a lot of people have so much hatred for, including myself, they will tell you that we're not even in phase one. He keeps, what he does is he moves the goalposts. And he just lies about dates. First it was April 20th, then it was um, like May 20th. But really, he's just, he's just angering a whole lot of people. Like, to give you an example, what happened is um, a few weeks ago, he had said, okay, well, barbershops and salons, they can open on the 20th, not a problem. So now all of these out-of-work stylists and barbers, who, who haven't been working, and I have dear friends of mine who are in the industry, and they weren't able to get a PPP loan. They've gone through all of their savings. They spent money that they didn't have to get their shop ready. And then two days before, Lamont says, oh, oh just kidding. Now we're not going to open up these salons. So now you have all of these people who were expecting to open. And, and by the way, he's also asking these salons, in essence, to be contact tracers, whether they know it or not. He's asking them to ask the clients questions that are like in clear breach of HIPAA, clear breach. There's so much egregious, egregious stuff that's going on here in Connecticut that like, I don't think a lot of people are aware of it. it you know, he's, he's hired his committee of, I think, like 45 people. And as far as I know, they're exempt from FOIA. So, Good luck finding any information about what they're talking about. And then he goes ahead and he also has, like, hires a firm out of Boston for, like, $2 million. It's costing, I don't know who it's costing. He's either using federal money for it or he is using taxpayer money. It's, like, $250,000 a week for this Nikki, committee. run for office. Please <laughs> run, <laughs> run for office. I'm just Connecticut really- needs you. I'm just a really pissed off mom, I guess, is what the deal is. Run for office. <laughs> Remember, the uh, often it's the elections that happen close to closest to you geographically that have the biggest impact in your day-to-day life. So whether it's city council or whether you end up taking Lamont's job. Now, I have a theory about your governor, something I actually referenced at the onset of the show today. I actually 
uh, do that. I mean, it's it's half a joke, but I do think there could be something to it to a certain degree. You talk about how, you know, Connecticut has kind of been an afterthought and everything else. I mean, it, it, isn't it odd that Connecticut, of all states, would be the last state to do any kind of reopening it, today? I mean, even New York being in some state of reopening earlier than Connecticut. How does that make any sense? I really do believe I and mean, think about this in terms of, you know, leftist thought process. The godless souls and slanders news media has done what? They have held up high those that have had the most draconian lockdowns. They've been the brave ones, right? The, the brave ones that have been willing to do the hard thing. Yeah, real hard when they sit there and they get a dictate real hard when they still get their government checks and uh, they exert their power of you. Yeah, it's been real difficult for sure. So it, I, what I actually think happened is that Lamont was like, you know what? If I wait until everybody else is done, I will prove that I'm the bravest, that I'm the biggest dog, that I'm important too. Now, I don't know that it necessarily worked out that way because I haven't seen where he's been plastered all over news media today. So it might have been best laid plans. But I actually do think there's something to it because, again, if you take a look from a point of rationale or even Connecticut's numbers, there's nothing that would make sense about it being literally the last state in the union to do any type of reopening, which to your point also nears anybody can tell. It's not really phase one reopening. It's like, yeah, you can go breathe some oxygen, too. Maybe. Well, I feel like it today. Uh, let's go to George in Gladstone, Michigan. George, go. Hey, George. Oh, hi. Hello. Hey, George. How you doing? Oh, not too bad. Um, I, uh, Mark had uh, oh, a lot of information regarding uh, uh, Como's decision to uh, relocate the uh, infected into the nursing homes. Yep. Well, I live in a senior center complex type thing. And so that's one of my concerns. But um, I was just wondering, technically, now, if you know, they had the ship out there and they had the temporary facilities all set up. And Como opted to move them to facilities where people were more susceptible to contact the the virus. Correct. And and so I was wondering, um, those people that contacted it because of the influx of those that were contaminated, uh, is there some type of thing that they could, you know, they could arrest Como or charge him with negligent homicide for? implementing the thing that would affect those deaths you would have to prove intent on that deal and uh good luck trying i don't think anybody would be able to get there but to your broader point yes you have uh you know a, a real important element in play here and that is and uh, this came up last hour as well with a uh, caller who was saying you know governors that are you know like a state like mine florida where we have performed exceptionally well exceptionally well by any relative measure uh, that, you know, he's saying, uh, hey, governor's getting too much credit for when things have gone right. What? No, not at all. See, in a state like ours in Florida, where we have the oldest, we have the oldest population of any large state in the country. Third most populous state overall. The most venerable population demographically in the United States. Our governor decided we are not sending people into nursing homes. We are shutting everybody off from nursing homes except for the healthcare professionals. Everybody will go through. You know, testing uh, at these facilities. We're going to make sure that there's temperature check for any of the staff. And uh, we are going to do everything we can to protect these. And even then, we've had some problems here and there, but it hasn't been widespread. No, you had decisions made, like uh, what Cuomo did, to actually bring people in to what ended up being death chambers. And that is another critical decision that's made. And then 
What happens? Well, your godless Olsen Slender's news media holds Andrew Cuomo up as a hero. Every day he goes on TV and he sits there and goes, my ratings are better than my brother's, which isn't hard to do. But nevertheless, uh, and, and he uh, you know sits there and, and he gets to revel and being the wannabe Democrat nominee. And you have the Democrat establishment that wants him to be the nominee. Now, what does it say when you have a governor who's provided uh, who's presided over the mass destruction and death that he has? A governor that has a population that is less than 6% of the United States of America, but has accounted for more than 30% of the death. How is it you could take a look at that and go, well, this guy's done a good job, but that just shows you how backward your godless souls and slanders news media is. And that just shows you what the priorities are of leftists. It certainly isn't your well-being. It absolutely is how he has been able to, through authoritarian-like power, keep New York locked down. That's something they respect. I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one. Mudd Lovin. You ain't got your health. You ain't got nothing. <laughs> I mean, Nancy really was full of entertainment today. That was her uh, being relatable. Yeah, you know, she's trying to work her way back from uh, you know a twenty-four thousand dollar fridge and her chocolate bars during the uh, pandemic. Uh, all right, so Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin. I wanted to end on a, a good news story about our hygiene habits during the pandemic. So, truth be told. Um, I'm borderline germaphobe, and the the one good thing that I thought from the onset might come out of this whole deal, better hygiene. So the first thing is my normal way of life. Like right now, I have Clorox wipes on one side and hand sanitizer on the other. Now, that's not because of the pandemic. That is called Wednesday in my studio. <laughs> I've always done it, and everybody else around me has always been like, okay. Now I'm just normal and having to protect my wipes and hand sanitizer unless they get wiped out. Now, that being the case, uh, this is interesting. I, I thought it was kind of a cool study that was recently done. It was by the Global Hygiene Council, and yes, there is such a thing. They found that our improved habits, our improved washing of hands, the regular cleaning of surfaces that we come in contact with, if we just kind of keep this stuff up, We will reduce common infections long after we're done talking about COVID-19. Just everyday crap that ails us, that's out there, that makes us sick. We will reduce common infections by 50%. And the need to use antibiotics will reduce that by 30%. So, I mean, come on now. Happy day. 50% less sickness. 30% less need for antibiotics. And by the way, hundreds of extra dollars saved in medical care per year, per person. Not bad, right? By the way, uh, here's another little interesting thing. We always think it's being out and about that causes problems. This kind of gets back to how we found out that the majority of people that were actually getting sick with COVID-19 were people that were not essential workers. People that were staying at home. And this is true of a lot of sickness. Turns out that up to 80% of illnesses are actually spread at home, just generally. So, just keep it up to good hygiene. It works. Now, hopefully, liberty. That'll work, too. Hopefully, we get back to our Constitution. Take back your local governments. Election closest to you, always going to impact your day-to-day life the most. 
Always an honor and pleasure. Brian Mudd. And for the great one, Mark Levin. Mark's back with us on Tuesday. From the Westwood One Podcast Network.